Zulu time. Three, two, one, four. There you go. Three, two, one, Zulu time. Welcome, everybody, to episode number three. Today, we're going to be talking about the surprising thing you didn't know about death. Um, hello, YouTubers out there and Facebook, Facebookovers. I hope that everybody's doing great. Um, today, we're going to talk about death. Um, and it's one of those things that is a little cliche, it's a little taboo. Um, but I think it's such an important uh, subject that brings a lot of questions to my mind. It brings a lot of growth uh, to me. Uh, in my profession, in my personal life. So I think it's very uh, important to talk about it. And also, it's Dia de los Muertos in Mexico yesterday. So um, interesting. And um, so the first thing, you know, is like trying to understand death, right? And so like, what's my background uh, with that? You know, if I, I, if I think back about my first uh, encounter with death, it's almost hard to remember. Because I actually, there were so many that I don't really know which one was the first one. When I try to think about, you know, my first memories with death, <clears throat> I think that um, probably when my father um, was uh, killed, that was probably one of the first memories. Uh, but also, I think one of the first things that I remember is going to funerals all the time as I, when I was a kid. Um, at that time in Colombia, it was pretty... Um, violent and and I think even that and also like a lot of natural deaths were happening uh, but I just remember going to funerals all the time and you know I remember as a child um, it's kind of interesting because children you know they know that something inside is happening but you know they play with their little cousins and and that's how I went about you know I, I used to go to, to, to these funerals and I think one of the one of the memories that re- that sticks out is like one of my uncles. He's passed now. Uh, he had a, a major heart attack. Um, but every time that I would go to a funeral and he was there, he was always outside of the funeral telling jokes. And it was so refreshing because it was already a sad time and he was trying to make everybody laugh, you know. Uh, and I think, you know, every family has that person that is always trying to make somebody laugh. So, um you know, props to him. He, that was so much fun, and, and he made things a lot easier. And so, when I, you know, as I as now I try to understand death uh, in my own profession and as you know, in in the setting that I grew up, um, I kind of have a desire to to help people understand death uh, from perspectives that actually are empowering to us. And so what do I mean by that? That like, um, I, for example, take for instance a country called Bhutan. Uh, Bhutan is actually a country that chose to, instead of using the gross domestic product, uh, it uses as a, as a marker called the gross domestic happiness. And actually it's a pretty cool country because it was governed by a king and the king actually gave up his throne and he gave it to the, all the country, to the people. And the people gave it back to him. So it's just this interesting uh, play of, of, of kind of like detachment. Um, and I myself, I have not been to Bhutan, but definitely one of the countries that I want to go to. Uh, and why do I bring up Bhutan? Well, because in Bhutan, one of the customs is actually to meditate on death. 
about three to four minutes a day, it is part of the custom there to actually think about when the moment at which you're going to pass. And they use that as a reminder, as a reminder of how, you know, how short the time is that we're here in the world and how short it is and how precious it is and how valuable it is and how much we can uh, squeeze the life out of it um, because it's going to go away at some point. That's one thing we know for sure that we are all going to go at some point, right? And so I think, I think the perspective that Bhutan has on death is a very healthy perspective. Uh, because they look at it more as a daily fuel for them to be able to fuel their daily lives and to realize that, you know, that there is a limited amount of time here and that, and that we, um, it, is, it feels great when you live uh, authentically um, every day. And one of these markers that they have in the gross domestic, pro, uh, gross domestic happiness is, is really interesting because it's not something like they just kind of say, oh, okay, yeah, we're happy. They have like very specific markers and one of these markers is actually how happy were you at the end of the day with the day that you just had, right? And it's such a simple question, like how happy were you with the task that you were doing today? So I think as I try to understand that, I see that a lot of people in the outside are actually, is taboo, you know, even when you mention it, um, people get a little bit weird when you start talking about it. And, and, and so that has um, a little bit of heart because when you're trying to talk to patients about um, hospice or about the time, you know, that, that, that their illness is so bad that they're going to pass, uh, it's a hard topic to talk about, especially it makes it harder when there is a lot of taboo about it and they don't want to talk about it. And, and so it just makes it harder on them. And internally, you know, it's hard because you don't want to push, you know, you, it's a hard moment already. You don't want to push the subject. You don't want to like, it's like going into somebody's house when they haven't really invited you in, you know, you don't want to uh, intrude upon them. So um, I think those two things uh, make it a little bit uh, harder to talk about it. One of the stories that I remember vividly is, is when I first um, uh, became a doctor and I was in the residency program and it was like one of the first nights that I was there by myself at the hospital and I get a call from the nurse saying this patient has died and you got to come and tell the family and you know I've done that a lot throughout my career like as a medical student but I never really done it like like that was me that was it that was like I was the doctor in at, at, at the hospital at night and it was me right there was no other teachers, there was no mentors. It was like me that had to do it, right? And so, um, and so I'm walking down the hallway. You know, if you've ever been in a hospital at night, it's a little bit of a different animal. You know, if you can just imagine, you know, I was walking down the, this dark hallway, which, you know, most of the time they turn the lights off. And I'm turning, you know, and I'm, and I'm walking down this hallway and it's dark and there is room after room after room and I'm walking in and, and, and it wasn't one of my patients. So I didn't know. And so in my mind, I was thinking like what type of patient it is, who is this person? How am I going to tell them? Are they ready to hear? And I knew the one thing I knew was that the person was do not resuscitate. And what that means in a hospital is that if the heart or the lungs stop or if the patient dies, you don't bring the patient back, right? You let them pass. And so I knew that, that, that that was the case. And so I walk into the door, and a lot of times when that happens, I'll back up a little bit, is that, you know, that people are kind of a little bit ready. Uh, they are ready when they take that decision. They, they kind of take uh, an approach to being ready for that. 
And so I walk in into the room and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I haven't done this a lot. And so I'm kind of nervous about it. And, and, but, but I walk in and I said, and the first thing I say is I see this elderly, uh, the body of an elderly woman right there in the uh, hospital bed. And, um, and I, she could tell, you know, you could tell from her, uh, from her expression and her color that she had just died, right? And I see right next to her, I see this older gentleman. His hair was white and he had, uh, he was short in stature and he had a very calm demeanor about him. I mean, just completely calm. And I walk into the room and it was so calm in that room. And I walk in and, and I said, um, the monitor shows that your wife's heart has stopped. And, and I said, and, 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 and I said, she has passed. And he said, okay. And I said to him, I said, and I just noticed that he was like unusually peaceful, you know, unusually peaceful. And he, and, and I asked him, so he kind of intrigued me. And I said, how are you doing? And I, and he said to me, he said, I'm doing okay. And I said, you're doing okay. Um, kind of like inquiring a little bit more about that because I wanted to learn. And he said, yeah, I'm doing okay. She was good to me and I was good to her. And that has never left my memory. Like that tattooed a picture in my mind as to like somehow like what it all comes down to. Like she was good to me. I was good to her. Like that is so simple, right? But it's also, it's so simple, but it's also like a whole life of like loving and a whole life of like taking care of each other and a whole life of satisfaction that you're ready to go and that you're ready for them to go. And so in the same way that, that, that started, uh, that, that really ignited in me like a um, respect for death as, a, as an ignition engine to you know for every day to think about a death and to think about how it can fuel us to to create better lives to fear you know to face our fears to face what we fear the most to take challenges to not take life too seriously and have a laugh to meet strangers to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise you know i think that really did it and also uh, to love you know because it was evident to me there that um, it's, you don't, it seems like at that time in your life, it's just kind of looking back what's important and saying, hey, did I love enough? Did I love, you know, did I, did I, am I satisfied with the way that I loved other people, with the way that I loved my life? Am I satisfied with that? And I think that imprinted on me that. And it was an awesome gift. And I think that older uh, men, um, about that because it's really helped me so much. And so as I, of course, start now like looking more into it and, and, and learning more about it and trying to experience these things in my personal life, um, I, you know, doing sports or something where you think you're close to death or, or where you um, get a scared or, or, or when family members or, 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 or patients die, um, I think that has impacted in me that as a doctor, it's almost the same way that, you know, am I okay with this person passing? Like, did I do everything in my power um, to, you know, make them feel heard, to give them the information they need, to give them all the treatments that are available, to uh, be an advocate for them if they die right now unexpectedly? Like, am I cool with the way that I treated them? And so... 
that's really been a great compass for me. And also it's been a great compass because if I'm ambivalent or if I don't know whether I want to do something or not, I can always take what they call the rocking chair test. And the rocking chair test is just like I fast forward my life and I look back and I think to myself, like, you know, if I'm 90 years old sitting in my rocking chair, would I regret doing this or would I regret not doing it? And most of the research nowadays that they do on this actually shows that these people um, are actually regretful of things they didn't do. So it's almost like in action. Um, like the first, the, the, the first thing is that like the first thing, the first best thing you can do is do the right thing. The second best thing you can do is do the wrong thing, right? And the third worst thing is like not do nothing, do anything, right? If you, in terms of your dreams and, and things in your projects. And so um, that has helped me to do that. And so, you know, when you start talking to people about this, um, you realize that this is, of course, not the same perspective that they have many times. Um, obstacles that we mainly uh, encounter is, for instance, um, patients that, are, that come unexpectedly and they have a, a pretty bad illness and um, maybe themselves or their family members uh, want to keep them for them. You know, it's not even like, the, let's say a patient is like almost dead and you can tell that they have like brain damage, but the family is not ready for that. So they keep holding him and the patient gets um, medications and the patient gets needles and the patient day after day after day, month after month after month. And so sometimes that's an obstacle. Um, as you're trying to be there for the family, you know, you're trying to be there for the patient and you're trying to be an advocate also uh, and also relay the message of the, of the science and relay the message of the facts and, and trying to stay neutral, you know, a lot of times. And so sometimes um, that's, a little bit, uh, that's a little bit hard to do. Um, I think some stories do help put it into perspective. For instance, I had this patient one time who was, um, she was in a, ter uh, she was actually really sick, but at that time we didn't, uh, we knew that she had cancer. Yeah. And we knew that she had cancer. She was in the, in the ICU. Let's call her Lucy. And uh, for the purposes of this, and so Lucy was in the intensive care unit. I remember exactly in, with, in which bed she was exactly. She was in a bed in the intensive, in the intensive care unit by the window. Um, and I remember going up to talk to her and she was really sick. Her lungs were filling up with fluid um, and she was just sicker and sicker and sicker, right? And I, and I remember she was such a nice lady. And I remember um, looking at some of the, what was going on and her heart was starting to fail. So she was beginning to have a heart attack. And, and so in my perspective, I know that this is not a good sign. I know that she is about to get really, really sick. And she was like such a nice lady. So I felt so bad for her. And so as I'm walking up to the room and I knew that she had cancer too. So I go up to her room and, 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 and I sit to talk to her and I said, um, you know, that test that we did, it showed that you are having a heart attack and that is not good at all uh, because, um, you know, the numbers are pretty bad and it shows that your heart has been injured really badly. Uh, we test this little chemical called troponin and the troponin lives in the heart. It's like a, a chemical in the muscle of the heart. So we know that when the heart muscle dies, 
this chemical leaks into the blood. And so, and so we checked that, and it was really high, so meaning that part of her heart has died. And I said to her, look, um, usually if this is happening, we, send the, the, we transfer the patients out to another hospital where they are able to get um, this vessel in their heart open, they're able to get this clot removed, uh, they're able to get a little bit more surgery. I know in the back of my mind, I knew that this was probably not the best thing for her because she was she also had cancer and she was so sick. Um, but even before I went into all of that, she was just so peaceful about it and she had this amazing calmness about her. And she said, it's okay. She said, she said, I've lived a good life. She said, I'm ready to go anytime. I've lived a good life. And so you don't need to transfer me anywhere. Like, I'm, she said, I'm ready to die. That's okay. And she was just so calm about it. Like, just like, it's hard to explain. It's almost like when, when, um, when you're about to go on a trip and somebody's like genuinely grateful and happy about something, like they're like content about it, you know? And like, and so she had that, that spark that she was, content with whatever was happening at that moment and so that made me realize that I was like wow like that's one of the first the way she felt that lady like the way that she was carrying herself it made me realize that we can thrive even even in these moments that we can thrive even in these moments even in the moments where we're like in the death death right that we can still thrive because the perception and because of our, our life, you know? And that also made me realize that, you know, to be able to do that, you've had to live the life that you're satisfied with because you get to a point and you're going to look back and you're going to think, have I had a satisfactory life or not? Um, and if you did, then it almost seems like from my experience, what I've seen is that people who get there and do have that satisfaction they feel pretty good. And so, um, and so that was really important. And then the second thing I learned from her was that, among other many things, is that she said, first, before we let me go, call my kids and make sure that they're okay with it, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, you know, a lot of times you don't know where that conversation is going, right? Most of, you know, sometimes you call the families uh, as a doctor or as a, as a part of the medical team, and you don't know where that's going to go. You uh, Sometimes they get angry. Sometimes they start crying. Sometimes they are not ready, and they say, no, you got to do everything. And you got to do everything. And sometimes they say, um, no, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, let, let her go, whatever her wish. And so, and so when, I, when I picked up the phone, it was another calm lady in behind the phone, just like the mother, you know. And she was really calm. And I said, well, you know, your mother is having this issue. She's having a heart attack. And um, and, and on top of everything that she's having, but she told me that she does not want to be transferred because she feels like she's had a good life and that she's ready to go. She wants to make sure that everything is, that that's okay with you. And then she said to me, she said, yeah, that's okay with us. I'll talk to my brothers. And she called her brothers, called me back. And she said, yeah, that's okay with us. Whatever she wants to do. And I realized at that moment that that release, not everybody gets it. 
because I, many times when people are sitting in, the, in, in those deathbeds, they look to the family for release and the family does not release. The family wants to keep them, keep them, keep them. And so there is like this tension. There is this tension. They almost feel guilty about like letting go or they feel guilty about saying, you know, I'm ready to die. Or, they, you know, it's hard to explain sometimes, but there is like this tension. But in that instance, the kids were ready for her to die too, if that was her wish. And so that taught me that, thing, that, that, that second thing that, that I realized like, wow, like the first thing is like she's ready, she's satisfied with her life and she was ready to go, you know? The second thing is that her family allowed her that space to take that decision, right? And so, you know, now I realize that this is such an important part of, um, of healthcare, death is. And I think one of the things that made me think about this a lot and that helps me put it into perspective, and it helps me, I say that, because every day or every year, there is some new thing that happens that makes me grow. Many times things happen and I've never experienced them. And it, and it brings upon with you like different feelings. Like sometimes you get angry. Sometimes you get like you don't understand patients and their families. And, and, and sometimes they get angry at you. Um, and so it just brings up. It's, like, it's a constant thing. You know, I think I don't think it will ever end. Um, but one of the things that has really impacted me a lot about death is a book called When uh, uh, Air Turns Into Breath right? Uh, or when, when breath turns into air. Uh, this was actually written by a doctor. His name is Dr. Paul Kalanathi. Uh, and he was actually a neurosurgeon uh, at one of the major institutions. And it's a really uh, very, you know, a, a moving story. Uh, he was in his last uh, year of uh, his neurosurgical training as a neurosurgeon. And he realized he started coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing and <coughs> coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. And he said, this is not going away. So he went to get an x-ray and he had cancer everywhere, everywhere. And he's like a young man in his 30s. He's a neurosurgeon at the, one of the best institutions in the world. And he just got diagnosed with cancer. And then he goes more into it. They go deeper and deeper and he has brain cancer everywhere. So uh, pretty crazy, right? And so, but the, the, the amazing thing is that he wrote a book, right? And that, the, that he told and he left us clues as to how to go about this. And he said, look, when I started trying to put this together as a patient, it was really hard. I was trying to go from doctor to doctor, from hospital to hospital, from cancer uh, institute to cancer institute, trying to have them tell me how many days I had left of my life, how many days I had left of my life. And he said, look, if they would have told me that I had a day left, I just spend it with my, with my family. If they would have told me that I had a year left, I'll write a book and I'll spend it with my family. He said, but I was trying to look for this one magic number that somebody would tell me, and he said, I realized that this was like drinking, like trying to quench a thirst with salt water. That's such an amazing words, trying to quench a thirst with salt water. He said, I was trying to get these numbers, and he said, what I was realizing is that 
what I was actually looking for was experiential authenticity and that no doctor or no number could give me that. And so experiential authenticity, living our own lives, you know, living the way we want to live. And so then after, um, throughout this, he was just recently married too. And so really moving story. And he actually talked to his wife and she's a speaker and she gives a lot of talks about this uh, story. Um, And they, and he wanted to have a baby. And so she said to him, she says that she said to him one time, she said, look, wouldn't it be really painful if we had a baby and you died and you had to tell the baby goodbye? And, and he said to her, he said to her, she said, wouldn't it be painful? And he said, wouldn't it be great if it was? Wouldn't it be great if it was? And so that is such a lesson, like such a deep lesson of life. Like the biggest lessons, the biggest growth is pain. Like, he's, like he was looking at like an experience. Like it is an experience of of in itself. Like it doesn't change it, that is stuff. It's still an experience in growth. And so she talks about that being a very aha moment in her life because she realized that Wow, like sometimes there is no bad or good experiences. Like you still grow and you still learn and and you're a different person at the other end of it. So it's still very important experiences to have. And so they did have a baby and it was just just so moving to to look. And and then he said something that really helps me uh, with this whole thing with death, right? And he also said that, look, I realized that spiritual authenticity, if I wasn't thinking about the end, Meaning like if I just close my eyes and not think about that one day, pretty close, I'm going to die. It was going to make it really hard in my family and it was going to make it really hard on me, right? Not planning for that, not thinking about that, not thinking that that was possible. And he said, also, if I, if that is the only thing that I think about, then it consumes my present, Living in, you know, in, in, in trying to be there, it consumes my present. And so it doesn't let me really live and experience uh, all the amazing things that are there to experience. So um, I really, throughout all of this experience, have learned to have a reverence for death. And I know that it is, as well as it is painful and humbling in so many ways that it will let you out and it will, it will humble you because, you know, none of us uh, know and have power over that. Also, is energizing in so many ways because it, it allows you to realize the gift of this, right? The, it allows you to realize that, that every second is like a gift, you know, that, and that is like life is amazing, you know, and so... Um, and that also it allowed me to realize, uh, to help patients plan for this, to uh, help patients uh, come up with their own strategies, come up with their own um, uh, ways. And, you know, just when I think that I realized and, and learned a lot, boom, some new experiences come and, and, and humbles me again and teaches me again that I don't know anything. And so it's a constant growth. And I am really open to it uh, now and, um, and just kind of like uh, wanting to learn more about it. 
And then one last thing that comes into my mind is um, uh, these uh, Zen um, masters from New York City. I think if you probably Google Zen master from New York City, uh, they'll come up. But they are great. They're hospice workers. And they help people through that transition. And that's another thing. You know, if, if you're listening to this and you got a family member or you got something going on, like hospice people are some of the most caring people that you will ever see. Um, hospice people are like, you know, if you're going through a really hard time or one of your family members, like I said, is having a hard time or is in their last stages, like, and, and somebody mentions to you hospice, like they are some of the most like, caring and like compassionate and like just awesome people. So um, consider this because everyone, you know, many hospice people that I've met, many workers in that field, they're like just awesome, straight, solid people. So, and they really help uh, families and people through this transition. So um, now, you know, just open about it and, and looking for the future to learn more things about it so that I can, be better there for patients and in our own personal lives to be able to deal with this and also, you know, to use it every day and energize myself every day. Like, look, um, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is an important experience. And, you know, before also we go, uh, there is a, um, there is a poem by this guy called uh, Chief Tecumse. And I love this poem. And it is a little bit about death. Um, and I want to read it to you because it, 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 is a, it is a cool poem that I have uh, always present. Um, it just kind of teaches you the way that he was looking at it. And so he says, um, is, is right here. Uh, he says, so live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about their religion." Respect others in their views and demand that they respect yours. Love your life, perfect your life, beautify all things in your life. Speak to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. Always give a word or a sign of salute when meeting or passing a friend, even a stranger, when in a lonely place. Show respect to all people and grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. Abuse no one and no thing, for abuse turns the wise ones into fools and robs the spirit of its wisdom. When it comes your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. So um, pretty powerful message, you know, from from this chief Tecumse. Uh, And I always kind of keep it in my mind, because I do see a lot of patients who get to this place and they tell me, like I remember one patient, he said to me, um, I wish I would have loved more, my family, you know, in the last couple of days. So like um, this poem kind of brings that together and for us to realize like 
you know, let's live it hard, you know, and, and, and love hard and do what you feel in your heart and stand your truth and authentically, right? Authentically, um, um, like, like that Paul Kalanathi said, you know, that experiential authenticity, you know, like when you feel authentic. All right, everybody, that was Sulu Time, episode number three, the surprising things you didn't know about death. It was great having all of you here. And uh, until next time, take it easy. Have a good one. Live on. Bye-bye.